I'm Gigi Johnson, and this is Amplify Music Conversations, where we captured the voices and music panels from the Amplify Music 2021 virtual conference. Over the course of the panels, you'll hear more than 100 panelists from a wide variety of cities and countries, each working in their local communities to recover from the challenges and changes of the pandemic. You'll hear about new community models, collaborations, and ways of organizing, each recovering and transforming their own music environment. Hi, thanks, Gigi. Good morning. Um, we're going to, we have a wonderful panel, and we're going to be discussing disruptions in music and uh, education. So the first thing we're going to do, we have a, a great panel of five people, myself, and I'm director of music education at UCLA, and everyone else is just going to do a real quick introduction. We're going to come back and talk about disruption. Um, Akira, want to introduce yourself? Hi, my name is Akira Nakano. I'm from the Los Angeles Inception Orchestra, where we mentor young children from ages 8 to 19 in music composition and music theory. It's great to be here. Thank you, Storm and Gigi, so much. Thank you. Michelle? Hi, I'm Michelle Rocket. I am a teaching artist from the Social Justice Organization and Music Education Organization Youth on Record based out of the Denver metro area. And it was snowing on Monday when we uh, last talked. So. It was, <laughs> and yesterday. But. <laughs> and of course, I simply said to her, what's snow? Um, <laughs> Richard. Good morning. I'm Richard Niles. Uh, I'm a composer, arranger, and producer. I've been doing that for about 45 years. I'm also an educator and author. Uh, I was a BBC broadcaster making documentaries for 20 years, and I have a podcast now called the Radio Richard Podcast. Great. And Kelsey. Hi, good morning. My name is Kelsey. I work at the Young Musicians Foundation. We are a nonprofit organization that provides tuition-free music education and experiences to students throughout Los Angeles. And thank you so much for, for having me here again today. Okay, great. And um, as Gigi says, she and I have been having discussions for years now about what goes on in the field of music and music education. And the word disruption keeps coming up because a lot of things in music education tend to be static or all education tends to be static. So I want to um, start this off with a, a conversation amongst us about why are we discussing disruption? How many are experiencing disruption? That kind of thing. So anyone want to pop in? I want to get this kind of a free-for-all going on here. Well, I think uh, I'll pop in and, yes. and say that uh, it seems to me there's two meanings of the word disruption. One of them is, have we all been disrupted by COVID and uh, the lockdown and teaching online? And for me, it's just been the opposite. It's been even better. And uh, I've, I've always taught online, so I find it to be very helpful. And the other question is, is, does disruption mean finding innovative and new ways to teach? And uh, in that respect, I'm all for it. Okay. Other thoughts? Well, yeah. Okay. Oh, this is good. No, please go ahead, Akira. Sorry. Um, so, yeah, I think what's great, as Richard mentioned, I mean, the, the thing about um, about COVID and how it changes music education in a way is in this virtual format, there's so many new platforms which helps to do help to innovate. For example, if you have a mentor in 
uh, online, we can still, as a staff and other teachers, continue to live teach and answer immediate questions in the chat. So there's this new interactive way of actually expanding and paying more attention to kids. So it's a new method. And I think how we figure out how that can continue when we go back <coughs> to hybrid format will be great. Um, Richard, you mentioned, you know, COVID being a prompter, I think um, larger social justice movements being a prompter to really encourage us to think about education and what equitable education looks like, especially, you know, in terms of arts and music um, has been something our organization has been thinking about quite a bit. Um, and I do think that there are opportunities through, you know, some of the challenges to maybe think about um, this remote structure as a continuing opportunity for equitable access. Uh, but that being said, I do think that, you know, kind of going again off of what Richard said, we may have needed this disruption to kind of really prompt us to start making some changes in education. And Frank, you mentioned it's stagnant. And I would, I would agree with that yeah, pretty wholly. Yeah, yeah. Formal education tends to be stagnant and only responds to prompts from the outside. Uh, nothing in a university would change in any department unless there were reviews every five to 10 years. And that prompts at least some examination. Uh, Michelle, do you have some comments on this topic? Yeah, I will. I will wholeheartedly and humbly admit that when I first heard about this panel, I, I thought I immediately thought about the disruption of COVID, and that was it, <laughs> because of how much interruption has happened in the music industry, how much interruption has happened in education, and so learning about the additional context and concept of disruption was. Um, was wonderful, but I, I will say that in this time, we have been able to reimagine what we are capable of doing. And I think that reimagination is a very important part of the process in order to get to innovation and in order to get um, into, yeah, more equitable access, uh, as Kelsey was saying, was because we also saw at the very beginning, um, I work with public schools as a, a community partnership. And in the, in, in that time where we first went remote between, um, access to technology and to those things became larger. So it's having to address not only how to adapt music education and an online learning to that format, but also, um, what do we do about this increasing gap? for students and for people that we are trying to reach. So um, I think to reimagine is going is going to be a very important and probably critical stage right now as we go into another school year, as we end this one and we take what we learned and what was valuable. But um, yeah, I think we're at a very critical breaking point because I know a lot of teachers are looking forward to going back to an in-person model. Um, you know, I I had a I had a hard time figuring out how to pace things, you know, on an online format. But it's all to say that we can take this weird year of having no distractions almost and being able to reflect and how we can apply that to the upcoming year. Yeah, yeah, a weird year. Um, one of the things that just responding to what Michelle said, I was amazed as when I had issues with teaching, I thought it wasn't working. The students wound up being very helpful. They were more than happy to jump in and be part of this process of figuring it out. So this was a valuable part of the experience and is something we need to take into our teaching in the future. Um, the other thing with me, this is an opportunity to actually re-examine what actually takes place during music learning. 
and how it's compartmentalized, what is music learning, what are the emergent properties, um, the, the social uh, uh, equity issues and so that come out of teaching in certain ways and how we can improve that. Any other thoughts on this? Well, I, I think it's quite interesting what some of the people have said about this because uh, it seems to me that the, there is a problem, in my opinion, uh, about music education in general. And that is that it's it's very technically based. It's it's very uh, mechanical almost. Everybody has to hit the same goals, uh, and it's I must say it's gotten what I see in students is technique above expression. In other words, we have we've, we're producing a lot of musicians with phenomenal tools and many skills, but with not much to say, uh, not much of a personal story to tell. And what I've always done in my teaching is try to find out what that personal story is for for each student. And I and really, you know, I, I think there if you have twenty three students, you can get twenty three attitudes if you if you ask them. And those attitudes are what I mean. After all, we're expressing something with music. Music isn't. Uh, the the techniques of music are just tools. They're like a fork. Mm -hmm. the, the food is important, not the fork. So so the music is important, and what you have to say with the music, and not the technique. And I find there's way too much emphasis on technique. Not that I am against it, because I think technical skills are really important. But I do think that we should be encouraging students to tell personal stories and find their own attitude about what music they want to make. And that's one thing that I think that teaching online has done because it kind of concentrates your mind on the screen and you're now talking to somebody and they feel, in, especially with private teaching online, they feel very free to talk about yeah. their attitudes and, and their own personal view. So I think this is a, all a very interesting area. My take on what you just said is very important what you're saying. I've been in contact with my graduates this year a lot because of the online thing. Um, and I've just watched some of them as they create virtual choirs or virtual bands and orchestras work with the individuals. And these individuals are becoming more musical because they have this interaction one-on-one -on -one with someone who's concerned with this issue of musicality. And they wouldn't be able to do that in the ensemble. They'd be worried about the 60, 70, 80 kids in the class. Akira, you've talked about um, uh, the need for developing technical skills emerging from what they want to say. Could you elaborate on that? Well, sure, yeah. So I really believe, you know, I had a background at the Colburn School of Performing Arts here in LA. So it was a very like curriculum approach to music. And so when we formed our organization, we wanted to go at it backwards. We wanted to say, let's do creativity first and let kids develop their, you know, their personality, just like what Richard said, what do they want to create? And then back in the music theory, because of course music theory is important because you need all of that stuff. But if you don't have anything to relate it to that excites you, how are you going to be interested in it and how are you going to learn it? And I think we're finding that this is a much better way to teach. And then one other note, what also dovetailing on Richard is, in our curriculum model, not only do we do group classes, but we do private instruction for each individual kid as well. And that is how you truthfully develop, I think, to develop the needs of each individual um, student. Michelle, have you? 
Yeah, I will say that my my musical background is pretty um, non-traditional. And so I grew up in choirs and I went to school actually with Storm um, and I studied recording engineering and uh, vocal performance. Um, and that particular program was contemporary. And I think sometimes the issue might be uh, bigger institutions or sort of larger things accepting uh, contemporary music and, and accepting um, more non-traditional ways outside of classical music as something that is viable or something that is appropriate. Um, I work with mostly high school students, and I will say that uh, a lot of things that we do is project-based, and um, that is to encourage them to tell their story and to encourage them to learn how to critically think and to self-actualize. Um, and music is the best vehicle that we have found. Uh, so that's, that I think is what is everyone is saying is that it, we can have the tools, but we, we need to encourage the stories and encourage the expression above all else. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's been a very interesting time because I, I do think that students are more likely to share more about their lives, more personal things, and also just being unobserved when school is such a place to always constantly be monitored or constantly observed. Um, they're willing to share more. However, I am, I'm struggling to find ways to create a classroom culture between the students. So I have a connection between them as a teacher, as an educator, but, um, I'm still trying to figure that part out. And I don't know if, if y'all have, um, have had luck with that, but I, I'm, I need to incentivize them, right, to come to class, to be social. And a lot of that is the social aspect. Really quickly, I just wanted to, to follow up, Michelle. I mean, what you're saying about the connection resonates so deeply. But I, and I also think about for myself, like how connected, you know, do we as adults feel to people through Zoom? And I think it's definitely more challenged. Um, so I, I know for our students, it's it's been the same. And our teachers, our teaching artists have, have mentioned similar challenges. Um, I do think, you know, something that that's kind of encapsulated by what we're we're talking about here is this idea of uh, and Michelle, you, you essentially said it. We've all said it in a different way, but music being this vehicle or this space for social emotional learning and development. And, you know, this is obviously blowing up in music education as a theme this year. There's incredible work coming out of the uh, New Jersey Department of Education. They've developed this incredible matrix that shows social emotional learning intersections with the visual and performing arts standards. And there's something about this year that feels like as trying as it has been and as incredibly difficult and as challenging as it has been, I'm having different conversations with our administrators and our partners than I was in the past about the function of our programming in their schools and in their community centers. And those conversations, you know, are less about, um, for lack of a better, better way to say this kind of checking the box of, of having an arts program and more about the depth of that arts program and what it does for students as whole young people and not just young people, because our organization works works with adults and we work with, um, you know, workforce development programs through Homeboy Industries. And music is healing and music is, you know, a space for you to develop so many different dimensions. We're multidimensional. Um, and so it's exciting to be having this conversation in this type of a panel. And at the same time, this is, I think, part of, you know, what we can maybe consider disruption in the space of music education um, which is why why I think it's it's interesting to think about it because we all know of music 
as this amazing place for emotions to take place. Um, but it is disruption when we think about traditional Western Eurocentric music education. Yeah, I'm going to pop in. Um, I had the amazing experience uh, for a couple of quarters of teaching a songwriting class based around songs of the COVID uh, you know, pandemic. Uh, and we uh, small groups of non-music majors at UCLA. They're called Fiat Lux classes, 20 students only. And um, they all, very few of them were familiar with any kind of production software. They all embraced this. And we started by watching the jingles that came out about COVID, you know, wash your hands, do this. But then emotional songs began to come out. And the pieces that these young people created dealt with the experiences they were having, missing their parents, missing each other. Or one Asian student really spoke about how she was being experiencing prejudice in her community. Um, the neat thing about this, we used the, uh, the uh, uh, little breakout rooms function and small groups, the young people who were all over the world for this classes were able to connect to each other and support each other. And they learned that they could really positively critique each other's work and grow by talking with each other. And, it was, you know, the final concert they gave of their songs, everybody was so excited to be there. Uh, the young lady who was living in Bombay at the time woke up at whatever godly hour that was to come to class, that kind of thing. So I, there are some real possibilities here for human connection and that we need to learn from um, and realize that that may be one of the most important things we do. Anybody else have those kind of experiences? Well, I, I just like to uh, say that's great what you just said and uh, what you described. And it's what something I talk about a lot that yeah. the arts has an obligation, I think, to reflect the spirit of the times. Mm -hmm. uh, if it doesn't do that, then it's a technical exercise again. Yeah. But what that thing that you just described is, is a perfect example of it. I mean, I wrote a song myself, which I released in December uh, called 2020, about exactly about these kinds of experiences uh, that we've all been having. And I think uh, when you can encourage students to write about what's happening now in the world. And re I mean, you know, I'm a guy from the 60s. So after all, you know, that's that's natural to me to write about the times. And and I, I believe we should all be encouraging students to do that. And uh, interestingly enough, I find one of the main ways to get them to start doing that is to get them to transcribe music from the past. Because when they transcribe a lot of music from the past, they're suddenly saying, wait a minute, that guy thought about this. This guy thought about this is maybe I could take this from here and I can take that from there and synthesize it into my own little style or my own attitude. And it was, it's great. So I think what you've just described is a terrific thing to do. What you just described is a way to start music history from today and look backwards and, and create curiosity about it rather yeah. than we're going to start with chant. We're going to, you know, uh, this is just, yeah. And it's hard to get academia to do that. It, it, it takes a major disruption for them to think that way. Um, yeah. Michelle, you were. I was going to, I was just going to say, Richard, it sounds like you're saying that retrospect is 2020. It was a joke, but um, also <laughs> that, uh, 
that, yeah, this is, people will be writing about this time, creating art and music about this time for a very long period. And we will not really be able to see how much has happened until we're really out of it. But I think being in this time is very special. And I also think, um, yeah, I I appreciate this conversation with with this panel, especially, which is a reminder that uh, we can now invite people from all over the nation, all over the world into the classrooms. And that was something I probably could have done before, but is something that's that is helping, I think, create a more a more centralized national conversation as opposed to regional, um, as opposed to and learn from one another, which I think that's pretty incredible. So thank you for doing that. <laughs> Akira, did you want to pop in? Yeah, I was going to say exactly what Michelle just said. I just think that it's really amazing that not only as can we bring you know teachers in from around the world, but we can also reach out uh, and create you know these these communities. I think schools sometimes have problems because not problems, but they are they're all contained to their um, they're all contained to their own school system. But now you can combine different schools and reach out. I think you know, different nonprofits like YMF, like, like Inception, because we have great um, school, you know, multitudes of schools participating. But now this can become a model for general, you know, schools in general, um, you know, where they can just branch out, get students from all over the place. Virtual has let our organization go national, both mentor-wise and student-wise. And I think that is something that we wouldn't have had before COVID. And now how do you keep doing it? Uh, Kelsey, did you have any thoughts on this? I mean, I think everyone captured it. We're all in agreement. The idea of, you know, globalized access is is incredibly exciting. Um, and I think it also helps us consider some of the challenges that, you know, we think about when we, when we talk about potentially the need to disrupt music education a little bit, which is the traditional model, you know, at a, let's say like an adequately funded school is you might have a band program, you might have a choral music program. Um, and, and is that all that music is? And we know, of course, that it's not, but we also know the challenges, you know, that come with asking an individual band teacher to take on an entire program and teach music, you know, in all its different facets. And so the idea that you could bring in a music technology expert and video them in and have them support and mentor your students and bring in different disciplines and, you know, capture and engage your students in different ways through music is something that I hope we're going to hold on to um, as like one of the the positive takeaways, I think, of, of this really challenging time. This brings me to the issue of how can those who are in the K-12 settings access the kinds of activities, expertise, and educational knowledge your organizations have? I mean, how can we break the, the wall down that, that tends to be there? I, mean, I suspect that when we go back to in-person teaching, everyone's going to want to regroup around what they've always been doing. But people eventually are starting to go, wait a minute, there were some neat things there. How can we cooperate with? How can we partner with? How can we create bigger communities than just ourselves. Any ideas on how that might be possible? I mean, very quickly, we, our organization pivoted like all, you know, so many incredible arts nonprofits did. And we had a turnaround where we launched a, a pilot for an online music academy within, I want to say three to five days. Um, and what that taught us is that we actually, you know, it helped kind of synthesize and really think deeply about what it is that YMF does and what we realized is it's it's filling a space 
that's not always being met in music education. And one of the key pieces of that is the idea of a culturally affirming and culturally responsive um, music education. Our teaching artists do this exceptionally well. Um, they're incredibly passionate about this. Uh, and so that's something we're going to continue. So that's something you can be on the lookout for from YMF, I would say, you know, in this next six to 12 months, we'll be developing it. And we see that as an opportunity to help provide resources to music educators throughout the country and perhaps beyond if they want to, you know, go to culture bearers and get a sense of, you know, how to bring different cultures of music into their classroom authentically. And so that is, that's on the horizon for us. That's fantastic, Kelsey. Other thoughts? Well, for yeah. us as well, sure. sorry, for us as well, we are also bringing in world music now. And I think that ability to like have people dial in, literally dial in from like Japan and Australia to teach Koto and to teach, you know, the didgeridoo. I mean, I think those are things that are really, really great for our students. And um, so I, I think that is what we need to continue. And these organizations outside just, Yes. And then we're, you know, we're here. Okay. Michelle, you're involved with schools right now, aren't you? I am. Yeah. Um, a couple approaches that we use in our pedagogy is um, trauma-informed practices, uh, which I think in some shape or forms, we have all experienced trauma in this time, which all means is like something bigger, something, an event or something is, is bigger than we're able to comprehend. Right. So our students will be experiencing this. Um, and by acknowledging that we, we are then creating safer places to learn, safer places to be, um, and to invite whole, their whole selves into the environment of school. And, um, that's what we want as music, as music educators is want them to bring them whole selves to express and to be able to, um, to bring. So that's part of that. And I think that will continue, especially, and we have to take into account that this last year will be the same. Um, so that will be something that will be into heavy consideration as we approach the next year or so. So that and, um, and connecting to music industry, that's, that's something that started before and will continue also, and it'll look different. And we're all kind of here in the conversation to figure out what that looks like. Great. We have less than a minute left. Anyone have a quick word they want to throw in? Okay, uh, everyone. Oh, yeah. Uh, yes, yes, Richard. Are you? Are you just? Well, he he just wants to say he wa he's wanted to say thank you to everybody yes. for uh, all their great points, and uh, these are the kinds of discussions we should keep having. Yes, and uh, nice teeth. Yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I brushed his teeth earlier. <laughs> I want to thank everyone for going along with this conversation format, rather than kind of like just you talk, you talk, you talk. Um, this has worked out in a much more exciting fashion than we could have planned it. So um, uh, thank you very much. I've enjoyed working with each of you today. Gigi, thank you for bringing us all together. Well, thanks for listening to Amplify Music Conversations. We hope you enjoyed this discussion and come back to listen to our other podcast episodes, either following us in your favorite podcast player or at amplifymusic.org or even on YouTube. And you can find a way to sign up for our email list and join our various groups on Facebook and on LinkedIn. We'd like to thank the Institute of International Business at the University of Colorado, Denver, who sponsors this podcast series, as well as the conference sponsors, Mia, UCLA Herb Alpert School of Music, the Creative Arkansas Community Hub and Exchange, Ben Zugel, 
Tully, and Lyric Find. We've had great support putting this conference together this year, and we look forward to continuing these conversations with you through this podcast. Thanks for listening. You have found one of our adventures now in the Marimel Podcast Network. You can find our shows everywhere that you listen to podcasts. We've got Amplify Music Conversations from the Amplify Music Conferences during the pandemic, Creative Innovators, and now Innovating Music. If you're interested in following up with us in any of these shows, please reach out on our websites, and you can find those in the show notes.